So good to be in the presence of the Lord. It's so awesome to be in the presence of God together with our brothers and our sisters. It's something different. It's nice to worship on your own. It's nice to be in your own place, in your own, spend time with God. But man, when everyone comes together and we worship him together, it's just something different that happens. Amen? Amen. I'm so blessed to see so many of you here today. Uh, Even last night, pretty full, pretty packed place. This morning, first service. It's so good. And when we get out of here, you can go to the beach. You can go on the boat. You can go to the boardwalk. Amen. But it's important that we put God first. Amen. So, So listen, for those of you that were not here last week, The reason we did the song we did is because we're in this series, and we do this every year. We've done this every year for the past probably four or five years, maybe more. I don't remember. Where we take the month of July, and we do a series that we call Songs of Summer. And basically, we try to hear from God, okay, which songs should we focus on? And it's not just singing the song. The song becomes the basis of the message. You know, uh, I want you to understand this before we go in. And those of you that are, that are here with us today visiting or uh, just checking us out, we welcome you. We thank God that you're here. But we as a church place a very high premium on worship. And the reason we do that, and, and listen, doesn't mean if you place a premium on worship, it means you've got to do 15 songs. You could do 15 songs and never, never experience the presence of God. Or you could do one or two songs, and man, because our heart's there, it's like you enter right in. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. But we place a premium because this is the time. The time we just spent from the moment that you walked in here until just now when we went into announcements and then we went back, back into worship. That's God's time. I mean, so many of us, and I know I, I was guilty of this for many years, years ago. We go to church and we go, I hope they do my favorite song today. Okay. And that's wonderful when, when we do the, the, but the songs are not for us. Turn to somebody and say, it's not for us. It's for him. This, the time when we worship is the time that we come together and we're bringing a sacrifice. Okay, back in the Old Testament, we're not Old Testament, we're New Testament, but back in the Old Testament, the pattern was kind of formed where if you were going to come into the presence of God, you better not come empty-handed. You bring a sacrifice. Okay? It's a sacrifice. It costs something. It's life for us to have the ability to enter into the presence of God. Well, we're only here because it cost somebody his life on the cross and made the way for you and I to be able to come into his presence. He shed his blood. You remember what John the Baptist called him that day when the disciples were there and Jesus is coming down the road and John said to them, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Well, they understood what he meant. You and I, when we hear Lamb of God, we think this cute, fuzzy little lamb. No, they understood that this was a lamb that was slain. This is a lamb who gave its life. This is a lamb whose blood was shed. Speaking about Jesus' final fulfillment of his mission on the earth when he went to the cross. So now, we take these songs, and that becomes the basis of the message. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. But listen to me, please. I hope I have your attention for this. 
one of the other reasons why I like to do this is because I like for us to go in and understand, look at the lyrics and realize we are singing stuff that is biblically accurate. There's so many songs out there that are just entertainment. There's so many songs out there that when I look at them, I go, can't sing that. If I'm someplace else and they're doing a song and they come up with some silly lyric that's not backed by the word of God, I stop singing until they get past that foolish part. It's extremely important to be very accurate with what we sing because what we sing eventually becomes what we believe. What we say affects our future, can affect our relationships, can affect our relationship with God, okay? How many like to hang around with somebody who's always bitter, complaining, grumbling, negative? How many like that? You think God does? No. So, let's get into this, into this message. Let's get into this song. We're talking about the name of Jesus, okay? Now, I started out the messages in every service this week, and even when I recorded it online, I believe, because, uh, uh, you know, you can listen to the message on YouTube, our YouTube channel there. And um, if we were there when Jesus was on the earth, we would come to the understanding that he never heard the name Jesus. That's what we call him. That wasn't his name. It's become his name, because we took it and pretty much it's the best way we can pronounce it. But if someone wanted to get his attention, they would have yelled at or called at or shouted, Yeshua! That he would have responded to, because that's his name in Hebrew. Now, that's significant. Now, mind you, if you were in a marketplace, let's say in Nazareth, or if you were at the temple compound in Jerusalem, and you yelled out, Yeshua! Probably a couple hundred people would have turned around because it was an extremely common name back then, okay? But Yeshua, or some people pronounce it Yeshua, comes from the same root word where we get the name Joshua. Now, if you know anything about Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua is a very strong character in the Old Testament, but with a sensitive heart. He knew the voice of God. He had no problem fighting. He was a warrior. But he also had no problem being in the presence of God. And you see the same thing in Jesus' character. The warrior, the triumphant one, yet tenderhearted, yet one who could, who could relate to children and draw them into his presence. So we, we say Jesus, the Hebrew is Yeshua, but they all come from, and Joshua, they all come from the common root word, which we would translate today if we were translating, and it is translated many places in the Old Testament, salvation. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, means salvation. Now, remember the angel appeared to Joseph and told him before Jesus was, was born, Mary was first, uh, first conceived, uh, when she first conceived Jesus, the angel said to him, you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, because he shall save his people from their sins. So the song that we're singing about this name of Jesus is extremely important. Now, knowing that Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus is salvation, maybe now listen to Psalm 91, the last two verses of Psalm 91, starting in verse 15. He shall, this is God speaking now about us. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. How many, how many are thankful that he said that? Yeah. 
How many are thankful that? How, how many people have ever been in trouble? Okay. How many of you glad that he said, I'll be with him? I'll be with her. I'll be with them in trouble. Now look what he's promised to do. I will deliver him and honor him. That's awesome. Uh, I'd be satisfied with just getting delivered from the problem. But he said, I'll deliver him and do what? Honor him. Honor him. And, And it goes on to say, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Come on, say it nice and loud. Salvation. Guess what that word is in Hebrew? Yeshua. Yeshua. Now look at it this way. I'll deliver him. I'll honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my Jesus. Amen. You think it's by coincidence that many of us opened up our hearts to the Lord when we were in the darkest times of our life? When you were loaded down with trouble? When you needed to get delivered out of a situation, what did you do? Jesus, help me. Jesus, I promise I'll never do this again. Jesus, if you get me out of this one, I'll never ask you for another thing. What did he do? He delivered you. He honored you. He he promised you long life. And and who did he reveal to you? Jesus. You getting it? Okay, a couple of people did. Are are you getting it? Okay, so... This name is powerful. God has invested all of his character, all of his nature, all of his power, all of his promises are invested in that name. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, for all the promises of God in him, in who? In Christ are yes and amen. You and I have access to the promises of God. You and I have a guarantee of the promises of God because of that name. Amen? So listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, talking about Jesus, of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself, subjected himself, became subservient, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, when we read that, it has some impact. But when the person in the early church read that, heard that, when they mentioned the word cross, it brought shivers down their spine. For the cross was the most horrible, most disgusting form of execution that was known to man up until that point in time, even to today, by today's standards. So when they realized that this Jesus had humbled himself, had bowed down and subjected himself to experience that kind of a death, that made a big impact on that person's heart. They understood to what length and to what depth his love brought him to to save us, okay? So now watch this now. Verse 9, therefore, because he humbled himself, because he became subservient even to that kind of death, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's master, he's king, he's the most high God, amen? Amen. To the glory of God the Father. Now, listen, this is going to take place in our future. Hasn't happened yet. 
You individually, and we, most of us here probably corporately, have bowed ourselves and have put our pride aside and said, Jesus, I believe in you. We've declared our faith in him. And in declaring our faith in him, we've received salvation. So we basically have already called upon the name of the Lord, but we did it as an act of our will in order to receive salvation. Yes or no? But the Bible tells us, now this is a quote from the Old Testament. Paul repeats it in the New Testament. We're going to see it come to pass someday where every living being, every human being that's ever been born, every human being that's ever been conceived, that maybe never saw the light of earth but went directly into heaven, every single one that is in heaven, every single person that's in hell, every single person that's on this planet, at some point in time in the future, I believe it's in the near future, and I don't believe it's impossible for us to see it in our lifetime. Every single being, whether they just exist in the spirit or they exist with a spirit, a soul, and a body, will be, I don't want to use the word forced, will be commanded to bow the knee and to acknowledge this one is Lord. Now, I said that, and I spent the time to explain that, because it is way better for you to do it now in this life, because he's coming back. He's not coming back the way he came the first time. He's not coming back lowly and humble, riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. He's coming back on a war horse. And he's, he's, coming to, he's not coming to bring salvation. He did that already. He's coming to bring judgment. You don't want to be on that side of things. You listening to me? Receive him now. Bow that knee now. Acknowledge that he is the son of God. Acknowledge that he died on the cross for your sins. Acknowledge the fact that you believe that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive right now. And from your heart, reach out to him. And declare your faith in him now. Now. That name is a name above all names. Let me spend a minute or two here. I want to be careful for my time. I've yet to finish this message the entire weekend. Thank God I pre-recorded it on Friday. So you can go listen to it on YouTube and get the whole thing. I'll let me send you my notes if you want. Because every service is different. You want to know every service? I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Every service is different because the Holy Ghost knows who's going to be here in each service. You know, we bring guest ministers in sometimes, and I'm doing very little of that anymore. And we sit in the service and go, oh, my God, I feel like I'm on Broadway. The message is exactly 100% word for word the same. And I sit there and I, I fume on the inside. Because, you know, we tell these people, hey, come here and minister to our congregation, not read a book report. The service should be different. If you have multiple services, it should be different. It should be different from campus to campus because even our campus pastors, and you may know this, may not, you know, we all preach the same notes. But we know darn well it's all coming out different. And right now, they, well, they're done in Bayville, they're done in Wall. But I'll guarantee you the service had a different flavor. Why? The Holy Spirit knows who's there. Last night's service was very, very drastically different, different than this morning's services. Nine o'clock service, I already knew when you guys all came in here, we started singing. 
it was a different, different vibe. I hate to use that word because it sounds, woo, <laughs> a different spirit in the place, okay? And, I, and I'm grateful for that. You see, because it's the congregation that determines what the Holy Ghost is going to do. What do you mean, Pastor? No, it's the congregation that determines. Okay? Did for Jesus. Jesus went into his hometown in Nazareth. And remind me to get out of this quick. I got to get back on my notes. Jesus, Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up, right? Where he grew up. Okay? Goes to the synagogue, obviously on Saturday. And he gets up, and the, the uh, servant there, the deacon, where we get that word from, hands him a scroll, and he opens up to the book of Isaiah and reads from the book of Isaiah. Basically what he was reading, and you can go read this for yourself, he's quoting Isaiah 61. 61. And he's basically giving his job description because he's telling them, I'm the Messiah. And people there got offended. They said to themselves, who's this guy? I remember he used to play with our kids, and he was making mud pies, and all this. now this guy thinks he's a Messiah, and they got offended. And it says that he could do no great works there except heal a few sick people. Why? Who determined? Did Jesus say, I'm shutting down the anointing? Did Jesus say, I'm not going to? No. It was the people's attitude that determined whether he was going to be able to do something great or if he could just heal a couple of toothaches. Okay? All right? So, so that's what I'm saying. I thank you that you came here with a good attitude today. Okay? Because the more expectancy you have when you come to church the more of the Holy Spirit he's going to, more of his power, more of his presence he's going to pour out. Say, well, what's the big deal about that? Honey, trust me, I come here because I want to experience his presence and his power. I don't just, believe me, if I was you, I wouldn't just come here to listen to me talk, okay? Why, why do we come together on a Sunday? Why do we come together on a Saturday? Why do we come together on Wednesday night? We want to experience his presence, Listen to me, okay? You don't want to just say, come here and get entertained. Thank God for the team we have, the worship, the, their talents, their abilities that they've given to the Lord. But listen, we want to experience his corporate presence because we all get affected by that. Amen? Now listen to me. When we begin to exalt the name of Jesus, his presence comes stronger. Stronger. You listening? Okay, so... The lyrics of the song, you were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You're hidden glory in creation. You realize that Jesus always is? I'll go into it. But, but, but we don't refer to Jesus as Jesus was. No, Jesus is. Well, well, pastor, what are you talking about? Wasn't he born in Bethlehem? Yeah, his body was born in Bethlehem. His body came into manifestation in Bethlehem. Why? He needed a body. Why? Because the body contains blood. He had to shed that blood. He had to come here in a physical flesh and bone and blood body. As it said in Philippians, he came in the appearance of man. Okay? But Jesus always is. In the Old Testament, when it says that the Lord appeared to somebody on earth, who do you think that was? It's not God the Father. God the Father's spirit. God the Father sits on a throne in heaven. Jesus took on the form of man. You listening? Yes. Don't miss that. When you see, when you're studying the Old Testament, because I know you're all Bible scholars, when you read the Old Testament and you see that the Lord appeared to Abram, the Lord appeared to uh, Gideon, the Lord appeared, that's Jesus. Okay, when it says the angel of the Lord, 
Not an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Guess who that is? It's Jesus. Because really, in original language, what that's saying is the messenger of the Lord. In Malachi, he's referred to as the messenger of the covenant. He came to reveal that covenant. Okay? So when we sing that song, we said you were the word at the beginning. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. Listen to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not what? Comprehend it. Better translation, and the darkness could not overcome it. You skip down to verse 14, and we find out who this word is. It's not a thing. It's not a concept. It's not a theory. It's not a philosophy. It is a person. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So church, listen, we're talking about when we sing that song, we are literally talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is. Okay, say, but that doesn't sound grammatically correct. Hold on, it's going to get worse, okay? (laughs) Jesus revealed himself to even the religious people of his time as the, the always existing God. Listen to this. John chapter 8. Now, let me give you some background real, real quickly. Let me give you some background. Let me just take a sip of water here. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in John chapter 8 in the middle of a discussion. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' time did not like him. They didn't like him. They were afraid of him. They really didn't want him on the scene. They saw that he could work miracles that they never could. They saw that he could draw crowds that they never could. They saw that he taught with authority, and all they did was just tell stories. So they were very jealous of him. So when you see interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders in the Old Testament, it's usually an argument. And so we're going to pick up right in the middle of a discussion here. Jesus is having a discussion with these religious leaders, okay? You can read it for yourself if you read the whole chapter, chapter 8. Verse 53, the the religious leaders ask Jesus this question. Are you greater than our father Abraham who was dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him, Jesus says. I know my father. And if I say I don't know him, I shall be a liar like you. That'll make you a lot of friends. (laughs) But I do know him and keep his word. My, oh, this is the one that really triggered them. I would love to see the look on their faces when Jesus came out with this statement. Your father Abraham, now why did he say that to them? Because they kept saying, we are the children of Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. We We are the followers of Abraham. We know Abraham, we don't know who this guy is. So he hits them back with exactly what their belief is. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now listen. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Why? Abraham lived like 3,000 years before this. Legitimate question. He's also got a legitimate answer. Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, come on, say it nice and loud, I am. Oh, Lord. Did he go there? Yeah. 
I am. Now, if you were there and he said, I am, what is the first thought that's going to hit you? Exodus chapter 3. This guy's claiming to be the God who appeared to Moses in that burning bush. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, next verse. Now, this is a serious thing now. Now, watch this. Their reaction, not response, their reaction was, and they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went through the temple, going through the midst of them, so passed by. Say, why is that significant? Because that tells us they did not just blow him off like, this guy's crazy. They believed that he believed what he said. Because you'll have people that argue, say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. What Bible are you reading? He certainly, he certainly declared that he was God. Number one, he accepted worship. And no man could accept worship under Jewish law without the penalty of death. He never stopped a person when they came and bowed down before him. Well, why? Because he's God. Now, I don't know. There's people from many different backgrounds here. I don't know what background you might have come from. You might have been raised under some kind of religious system that taught you, well, Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God. Oh, no, no. He's God. He's God. Amen? So, I'll give you one other one. You remember when they came to arrest him in the garden? Jesus, uh, Judas comes and gives him a kiss. And, and, and he says to the Roman soldiers, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I. Now, your, your Bible has I am he, but the he is italicized because it wasn't there. He didn't say I am he. He said I am. And the Bible tells us when he said I am, all the Roman soldiers fell down backwards. That'll shake you up. What are we talking about? We're talking about the song that we're singing tells us that Jesus always is, always was. Amen? Amen? So it goes on. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, and nothing compares to this. And then it says, you didn't want heaven without us. Man, you talk about love. You talk about a heart for us. He didn't want to sit in that, that court on a throne all by himself. Well, pastor, had angels. Angels are not people. It doesn't say that he loves the angels. It says that he loves us. You getting this? Now, watch this now. He didn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, you brought heaven down. God is love, yes? yes. Can I ask you a question, please, and think about this, ponder this. Can love be expressed any other way but actions? No. You know, ladies, you got that guy, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but never does any, never take you out to dinner, never buy you flowers, never write you, and all the wives are looking at their husband now like, yeah, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> and the husbands are going, thanks a lot, Pastor Joe. But you understand my point? Never want to spend any time with you. Never come home. Spend all his paycheck on himself. But I love you. I love you. No, you love you. So listen, if God did not create us, how would he manifest love? How could he really declare himself to be love? 
Because love has to have an object to love. He didn't want heaven without us. It broke his heart. We don't know who the first person that rejected him that went to hell. We don't know who it is. We'll find out. Some people say, well, it had to be Cain because he killed his brother. We don't know that. We don't know that. But I will say this. I'll guarantee you it broke the heart of God when the first person went to hell. Breaks the heart of God even now, at this moment, this split second, that someone may be slipping into hell right now. Because he didn't create hell for us. He created hell for the devil and his angels. He created heaven for us. He created the garden for man. Didn't create the garden for a snake. Didn't want heaven without us. Remember the next time we sing that song. And we will sing it again, regardless of what Michael says. (laughs) My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? And I don't know about you. Whenever I hear the word separate and it has anything to do with God, my heart immediately goes to Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 is an amazing chapter in the New Testament because it's written by a man who started out not good. It's written by a man who was consumed with hate. It was written by a man by, who thought he was actually doing God a service by persecuting the church. He was right there when Stephen, the first martyr, got stoned to death. This man, who eventually writes chapter 8 of Romans, was standing there, and he said, I was holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen to death, and he thought they were doing a good thing for God. When he imprisoned Christians, he thought he was doing God a service until God shows up one day on the scene as he's getting ready to now extend his his grip, not only in Jerusalem, but also to Damascus, Syria, where the early church had begun to to be settled and, and spread the gospel from there. The religious leaders send him to Damascus, and on the way to Damascus, his trip gets interrupted. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, so that should be good news for us because we're the church. Amen. And Jesus, why are you persecuting me? That means he's identifying himself with us. We're in him, he's in us. Amen. You listening? That same man, decades later, having experienced the mercy of God, having experienced the forgiveness of God, comes to the place where he, he considers the love of God, the presence of God, so precious that he gets to write that the Holy Spirit allows him It amazes me because the Holy Spirit could have used any of the other apostles to write Romans chapter 8, especially the last part of the chapter. But he chooses the man who hated the most to express the love of God, the greatest. You listening? Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. What's he saying? I've been studying this. I've been experiencing this for years. He's probably thinking all the way back to the road to Damascus, how Jesus appeared to him. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're bound to him. He's bound to God the Father through covenant. We're bound to Jesus through salvation. He can't deny us. We're in him. He's in us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Are you glad? The song goes on, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boasts of sin in the grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. And then we establish the supremacy, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. All the power of God is invested in that name. So what does that do for us? Number one, we can pray in Jesus' name and get results. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Remember, this is the night before he's going to go to the cross. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. I know of a couple of Bible teachers that went back and kind of studied the original language, and they said, we can also, we can also say that this says, I'm paraphrasing, what basically Jesus was saying here is, whatever you need, ask in my name. If it doesn't exist, I'll make it. What a strong promise. So we get to pray in Jesus' name. Number two, use the name to overcome spiritual darkness. We tolerate so much spiritual darkness in our lives. We're like, we're like that boxer in a ring that's getting punched left and right, doesn't even realize he's got a, a competitor in the ring, just getting bounced around, bounced around, bounced around, and we just keep... And, and what's worse is sometimes we blame God for it. Why did God do this to me? How's God allowing this to happen? Where's God? Where's God? He's right where he's always been, on the throne, waiting for you to pray in Jesus' name because he's given you the authority, he's given me the authority. But what do we do? We put up with it. Depression overcomes us. Oppression overcomes us. We get attacked in our physical bodies. You go to the doctor, they can't find out what's going on. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. And we tolerate it. Instead of stopping in our tracks and going, wait a second. I've been given power to use that name. In the name of Jesus, you spirit of darkness, get out of my life. Spirit of of, of uh, sickness, infirmity, get out of my body. Uh, poverty and lack. Let me tell you something. If you're constantly going in lack, cycles of lack, and you're doing everything you can, that's not natural. Because the natural laws would bring you multiplication. When there's something, and you're doing everything you can, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. You're working day and night, you're scrimping and saving, you're trying to do, you're being the best steward you possibly can, but, but, but for some reason, it just can't, you just can't get ahead. Honey, there's a spirit attached to your finances. There's a spirit that keeps attacking you. I'll guarantee you, if you go back in your family line, you'll see that it started generations ago. And that's why we say stupid things like, well, you know, my whole family's always been poor. I've been poor. My parents were poor. My grandparents were poor. I guess we're always going to be poor. Honey, you're saying what the devil wants you to say. You turn around in the name of Jesus and say, oh, lack? You're not supposed to be in my life. I don't belong to you. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is connected to the kingdom of God. I'm part of his economy, not yours. 
and stop, and stop getting worried over the interest rates. And, and oh my gosh, I went to the grocery store and of course, yeah, I don't like paying $1.25 for an orange. When you could have bought them five for a dollar just five years ago. I don't like paying all that money for gas, but guess what? God will sustain us. There's, oh, honey, there's no shortage in the kingdom of God. There's no shortage. Stop it. Stop it. Well, I think it's outrageous. I think it's outrageous too, but I'm not going to let my life get obsessed over it. Why? Honey, when you put stuff in God's hands, he knows how to multiply. Jesus fed 15,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, and they were probably stinky because they were out in the sun all day. He know, but, but the key is, whose hands is it in? Whose, whose hand is it in? Well, this is mine. You don't understand. I worked for this. But, honey, if you didn't have the breath, if God didn't give you the talent, if, he, if you, you, you couldn't make two and two come up to four without God. Where's your heart connected to? Because that's where your treasure is going to be. Keep grumbling and complaining. You make it sound like God's, God's not capable of meeting your needs. He'll multiply the gas in your tank if you pray right. He did it with fish. Did it with bread. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I came here this morning. Number three. So number one, pray in the name of Jesus. Number two, use that name to overcome spiritual darkness. He told us, I give you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Number three, how about if we start resisting temptation by the power of that name? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tempted, yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. We just talked about this recently extensively. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. How, how are you going to approach that throne? Based on yourself or based on the blood of Jesus? And in that name, okay, I... I I don't know that I've ever prayed since I've been a Christian other than saying, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. It's in his name. So what do we do? Resist temptation. The temptation comes. You know which one is strong in your life. Hit it with the word. Hit it with the name. In the name of Jesus, you stop. Thoughts in the name of Jesus, stop. Thoughts in the name of Jesus, I'm not giving in to you. I receive grace that's going to help me to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts so that I might live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, according to Titus chapter 2. Amen? Amen? Grace has been given to us to overcome. We go before him in confidence in that throne of grace. We receive mercy for the things we've done. Say that with me. I receive mercy, I receive for, the mercy. for the things I've done. Say that mercy applies to the past. Mercy applies to the past. Grace applies to the future. So as I go to the throne to receive forgiveness, I receive grace that empowers me so I don't have to fall for every trick of the devil. Amen. Number four, most important, trust in that name for salvation. We're told in Acts chapter two, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost there, said that the people there needed to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, to get rid of them, get rid of the sins, to get out from underneath sin. It's in his name. It's in his name. Well, pastor, I'm trying to be a good person. Oh, stop it. 
You can't be. You don't have the mechanism to be a good person. Okay? Well, what, what, what about if when I get born again? You get born again, you're a sinner, saved by grace. Now you're a saint, you're saved, but guess what? You're still living on a planet. You're not in heaven yet. Turn to somebody and say, we're not in heaven yet. Turn to somebody else and say, we're not in heaven yet. You can still sin if you want to. Now, we shouldn't want to. The want to should change, but we still sin. Nobody wanted to say amen that time. So we, we receive salvation in the name of Jesus Christ that gets us out from under the sin. Then later on, Peter and John get arrested because they healed a man in the temple, a man who was paralyzed from the day he was born, never walked. They arrest him because the same religious leaders now who crucified Jesus thought they got rid of him. When they heard there's two guys in the temple that just healed the cripple. You know that crippled guy that comes here every day and begs for money? Guess what? He's not crippled anymore. What happened? Two of Jesus' followers, they went, oh, we thought we got rid of him. Now we got two more. So they arrest him. They bring Peter and John in front, of the, in front of the Supreme Court of Israel. And they judge them. Tell them not to preach in that name anymore. So then Peter says, verse 8, verse, in chapter 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he wasn't going to let him get away with it, whom you crucified, by this, this man is whole before you. And it goes on to say, verse 12, nor is there salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name, you received salvation in the name of Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, salvation, Jesus. Amen? Amen. 